thought I would die Scrolling through my messages with nobody reply The only thing that I could do was sit alone and start to cry Praying for an angel I'm so lonely All I wanted is somebody to hold me the war is gonna come for you the people in the battle hello listeners and welcome to ohio mysteries you're listening to a clip of family time by g swerve this columbus-based singer songwriter is our featured ohio musical artist tonight so hang out with us to the end of the podcast we'll tell you all about him and let you listen to that entire song but right now let's throw another log on the fire campers let's dig up a new ohio mystery I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Steve, if I say the Pike County murders, what comes to your mind? You mean the one where they tried to wipe out the entire family? That's definitely the one that most people would bring to mind. It was 2016, if you'll recall, and the killers coordinated the cold-blooded execution of eight family members in four different houses on the same night. Most of them shot in the head while they lay in their beds. Man, that was horrifying. I know they've made the arrest, but has it gone to trial yet? Not yet, but they arrested four people, a mom, a dad, and two sons, for carrying that out. I think one son goes on trial this summer. You know, they even charged a couple grandmas with obstruction. <laughs> families killing families. I forget what the motive was, though. Was, was it drugs? Uh, no, actually, police think the motive was to get custody of a three-year-old girl that was one of the sons who is a suspect had with a daughter who was in the family that was killed. She was killed, too? Yeah, the mother of the three-year-old, yes. As a matter of fact, she had just had another baby four days earlier, and the gunman shot her in bed with her newborn laying right next to her. You know, I, I just don't understand how this family thought it was going to end. I mean, what's the point? So now you've got this little girl whose mom and grandparents on her mom's side are dead, and her dad and the grandparents on her dad's side may be going away for life. Wow, that is so incredibly sad. Okay, I just looked it up. The dead family are the rodents, and the ones going to trial are the Wagners. That's it. That's it. You know, Pike County got a whole lot of unfortunate national attention on this one, and I'm sure once the trials begin, the national media will be all over it again. Our episode tonight is not about that case. But it's interesting, Steve, you use the term families killing families because a decade before the Pike County massacre, there was another Pike County case, a double homicide that is still an open investigation. It was another middle of the night, asleep in bed, shot to the head execution of a young couple on the cusp of starting their lives together. And as in the case with the Rodins and Wagners, persons of interest in this one include another family.
Pike County is part of Ohio's Appalachian region in south-central Ohio. There are only about 28,000 people in the entire county. In 2006, two of them were Curtis Francis and Jennifer Burgett, Kurt and Jenny to their friends and family. They live together on Hopper Road in Newton Township. Our story takes place during the Christmas season. Kurt was 34 years old, Jenny was 30. They were engaged to be married and had been telling people they were eager to start a family of their own. Instead, they share a grave. The night of December 6, Kurt and Jenny had gone to a small gathering at the house of a neighbor on Wynn Road, not far from where they lived. And there, in front of others, Kurt and Jenny had a spat. As it reached its conclusion, Jenny announced she was going to spend the night at her mom's rather than return home. Apparently, she had a change of heart because she returned to Hopper Road. And that's where they both met a violent end. In the early morning hours, one or more people slipped into their home and shot them to death as they slept. They were discovered by Jenny's mother. This case is now 15 years old. Twice, the state jumped in to help the Pike County Sheriff investigate and to offer resources, but there has yet to be an arrest or an indictment. That doesn't mean authorities don't have a good idea of who was involved. The public got a small glimpse that authorities knew more than they had ever given away when Mike DeWine, Ohio's Attorney General in 2012, announced his state investigators were helping. DeWine said at that time they believed more than one person witnessed the killings. They said they felt confident that the person who pulled the trigger knew the couple. And in another rather cryptic comment, DeWine added that investigators believed the suspected gunman was a man who had killed at least one other individual. He did not share who that victim was. But leave it to some hard-working investigative journalists to fill in the blanks. Four years ago, Fox 19 in Cincinnati spent six months looking into the case, and in a story by reporter Jody Barr, made some blockbuster revelations. Let me tell you what they learned. Investigators had served search warrants at the Wynn Road home several times. Both the sheriff and the Ohio's BCI spent hours roaming not only the house and the yard, but property that continued down a slope towards Sunfish Creek and ground that was at times a swampy morass. They never reported finding anything. But serendipity intervened. In July of 2016, a decade after the slayings, Kurt's brother Paul Francis was doing a plumbing job at, of all places, that Wynn Road residence where Kurt and Jenny had last been seen. The original owners were gone by this time that sold the house in 2010, and the new resident was a buddy of Paul's. Paul was doing a kitchen project for him, and as he was pulling a sink pipe out, he found some wires that came from the sink area and went out back, buried just under the soil. He decided to follow the wires to their source. 
He tugged them free of the ground for some fifty yards as they led away from the house and down the hill to that swampy area. And it came to a stop directly beneath a four-foot-high pile of refuse. Paul suspected the wires were leading to a well, and the fact that someone had felt compelled to cover the well in rocks and rubbish immediately raised his suspicions. After all, investigators had been down here looking for the weapon that had murdered his brother. Paul removed the rocks and the trash, and his instincts proved to be right. It was a well. The Pike County Sheriff's Office was called. Deputies arrived quickly and secured the spot as a crime scene for the better part of a week. What they did, what they saw, and whether they had recovered anything was never officially made public by the Sheriff's Department. But in January of 2017, a somewhat reluctant Paul Francis told Fox 19 News what investigators had told him the year before, saying, Stuff's been covered up long enough here, and it's time to get some answers. Turns out, when the Pike County Sheriff investigated the well in July of 2016, records showed they spent $1,800 to hire a plumber to maneuver a drain video camera through the hole. And there, they picked up the image of two guns, a pistol and a gun Paul described as a lever-action saddle gun. That's the gun that killed him, Paul said of his brother. On the camera, it's as clear as day. Families of both victims, the Francis's and the Burgettes, said they were shown the video. And not just of the guns. The video had also recorded clothing that appeared to be burned. But what seemed to be a nearly miraculous stroke of luck took a terrible turn. Apparently, investigators decided to shoot water into the well near the guns and burned clothing to clear soil and allow the camera to get a better look. A sump pump was brought in to pull out the water that was being added. Then, they decided to use the hose from a fire truck to blast water into the well. Some said it was in the hopes of getting the evidence to lift up with the force of the rising water. It didn't go well. Instead of lifting the potential evidence, some said the force of the fire hose blew out the well, knocking it down another 80 feet and drowning the evidence with it. In the end, the sheriff told the families they had neither the money nor the equipment to rescue whatever had been in the well. A steel plate was welded over the opening, sealing it shut. So, if those were the murder weapons and bloody clothing burned by one or more killers, why were they on the Wynn Road property? Fox 19 found some interesting information from a completely unexpected source. Now, the Pike County Sheriff, as most law enforcement agencies, don't share a lot of details from an open case. And the Sunshine Law that determines what is public record doesn't require them to, for good reason. But in general, once a case is closed, the records become public. Now, remember when DeWine said investigators thought their key suspect was somebody who had killed another individual? Well, get this. 
In February of 2006, the same year Kurt and Jenny were killed, a Pike County man named Paul Shope had been killed. Eric Horn of Piketon was charged with the murder, pled guilty, and is serving a life sentence. That case was closed, which meant the file was open to the public. And that's where Fox 19 News found statements made by people who said they knew what happened to Kurt and Jenny. The reason Kurt and Jenny came up at all in the Shope investigation was because Eric Horn was trying to cut a deal. He said he knew who killed them, and he would spill the beans and return for some kind of unspecified relief in his sentencing for the Shope murder. In preparing for this possible plea deal, the Paul Shope case file included several interviews and handwritten statements from people who lived at the Wynn Road residence in 2006. Now, I'm not going to use names because none of them have been charged in this case. The Fox 19 report is much more detailed about what they found, and I'll link to it in our episode notes. For our purposes, I'm going to refer to the Wynn Road family by relationship. In 2006, there was a mom. We'll call her the homeowner. Her boyfriend, we'll call him the mom's boyfriend. Her two adult sons, we'll call them the older brother and the younger brother, and the girlfriend of the younger brother. In their statements to investigators, the younger brother and his girlfriend Both described how Kurt and Jenny arrived at the party that night, got into an argument, and then left. Eric Horn, they said, was also at that party. They said 15 minutes after Kurt and Jenny had left, the Wind Road homeowner ordered their hit. Eric and the older brother threw a rifle into Eric's truck, left, and came back a bit later with blood on their clothes. The homeowner instructed the two men to shower while the homeowner's boyfriend collected their bloody clothes, put them into a black trash bag, burned, and then disposed of them. The investigator who took these statements from the younger brother and the girlfriend wrote that the motive appeared to be that Kurt had owed someone in the family money, possibly for drugs. The younger brother went on to tell investigators he would be willing to testify against his mother, his older brother, and Eric Horn in that double homicide. When he made this offer in 2008, he was in prison on drug abuse charges. The investigator wrote down that the younger brother was, quote, very willing to take any deal the police deem fit to offer, even if it will only subtract an hour from his prison sentence. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Authorities apparently never took him up on the offer, probably because his was only one version of what happened. The two men he accused, his older brother and Eric Horn, told detectives completely different stories. Version two came from the older brother and the homeowner, who were interviewed by a state BCI agent in August of 2008 as they sat at their Wynn Road residence. As I said earlier, they were actually being called on to make statements about the Paul Schott murder, for which Eric Horn had been arrested, but the conversation soon turned to Kurt and Jenny and what happened that night. The older brother said he believed Eric Horn had killed them and acted alone. He said Eric had left the party that night after Kurt and Jenny, then returned with a strange request. He asked the Wind Road family not to tell police he had been at the gathering that night. After learning Kurt and Jenny had been killed, the family presumed he'd been the one to do it. The third version of what happened this night came from Eric Horn, who wrote it down in a letter to his mother. He told Jody Barr of Fox 19 why he took that step. Because if anything were to happen to me, there would be, that there would at least be some type of record so that justice, justice could be served. In the letter, Horn denied any involvement in Kurt and Jenny's deaths, saying he went to the party at Wynn Road with a friend around 7 p.m. and they left before 11. He said when he left, Kurt was still there. He said he had no idea what had happened to Kurt and Jenny till a couple of months later. It was then, he said, he was in the backyard at the Wynn Road residence chopping firewood with the older brother when the older brother started talking about how Kurt owed a lot of money to his mom's boyfriend. He said the older brother then broke down crying, saying Jenny wasn't supposed to have been home that night. Eric asked what night he was talking about, and the older brother said the night they died. With assurances from Eric that he wouldn't tell anyone, the older brother continued his story. He said he went to Kurt and Jenny's house that night, but he was made to go by his mom and her boyfriend so that her boyfriend could collect on the debt he was owed. He said it was his mom's boyfriend who did the shooting. Eric Horn said he encouraged the older brother to go to the police, that it was hard to keep a secret like that. But the older brother said he could never do that, and he never wanted to talk about it again. In the letter to his mom, Eric Horn said he also knew that the mom's boyfriend used to keep a rifle on the wall of his bedroom at the Wind Road residence, that it was a lever action rifle, and that he never saw it again after Kurt and Jenny's deaths. That letter to his mom was written 10 years before the camera in the well spotted what the victim's families said looked to be a lever-action rifle. And then this other surprising twist that wasn't public knowledge. Eric Horn said on May 31st, 2007, that's about six months after Kurt and Jenny's deaths, he was invited to Wynn Road and told to come alone. He did so and took a seat on the couch. 
At that point, he said, the family shared their fear that he might go to police, and suddenly the older brother hit Horn in the head with a vase and started cutting him with a carpet knife. Eric Horn said he fought them off and managed to escape. He drove away and made it to another house where he convinced someone to call 911. His injuries were so severe, he had to be flown to a trauma center for treatment and he still wears the scars on both arms and his scalp. A Pike County Sheriff incident report confirmed there had been an assault, but that responding deputies were told by the homeowner, the mom's boyfriend, and the older brother that Eric had gone to their house uninvited and jumped them. The deputy concluded that since it was the testimony of three against one, he believed that Eric was the instigator. So, there you have it. Three versions of what happened that night. That Kurt and Jenny were killed by the older brother and Eric Horn. That they were killed by Eric Horn alone. And that they were killed by the older brother and the homeowner's boyfriend. And all three versions were from statements that had been tucked into a completely different murder case when discovered there by Fox 19 News. Last year, the double murder of Kurt and Jenny caught the attention of NBC and its Dateline Cold Case Spotlight. In an online story, Angie Montgomery described her cousin Kurt as a loving man who always swore to protect her. She said he wasn't a troublemaker, loved animals and music, enjoyed fishing and hunting, and was looking forward to being a father someday soon. Angie had a different motive for the murders, however. She said Kurt had undergone shoulder replacement surgery and had been prescribed Percocet. He had also received a settlement check from work. Angie told Dateline she thought her killers were after the pills or the money or both. Kurt's mom, Judy, agreed. She said her son was always a very soft-hearted person, but he had some friends of questionable character. I always told him he was too trusting, she said, and I think he trusted the wrong person with that information. Pike County Prosecutor Robert Junk told Dateline NBC that without DNA evidence, a murder weapon, or a confession, the case was at a standstill. At this time, there's just nothing happening with it, Junk told Dateline. We have ideas about who did it, but we just don't have enough evidence to convict anyone. The prosecutor added that he was a personal friend of Kurt's mom, Judy. He talked about how she was a widow, had raised four children, and had lost three of them. She had an eight-year-old son who had drowned in a creek and a daughter who killed herself just six months before Kurt's murder. She's such a good person, The prosecutor said of Judy, the best you'll ever meet. She doesn't deserve this. She's been through so much already. It's just not right. Anyway, if you have any information that can help authorities figure out exactly what happened the night Kurt and Jenny were killed, you can call the BCI at 855-224-6446. That's it for tonight, listeners, for photos, news clippings, and more. On this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. 
G. Swerve is from Columbus, Ohio, and he describes his music style as abstract and universal. A lot of his lyrics deal with mental health, but also wanting to just live life to the fullest. And, he says, everything he writes is rooted in personal experience. For instance, he's a type 1 diabetic, a journey he is starting to document through his music with the hopes of connecting to other diabetics. G. Swerve just recently dropped his new song, Give Me Glory, on all streaming platforms. It's an ode to all the emotions and thoughts surrounding his life in 2020. But tonight, we're featuring Family Time, a favorite of one of our Ohio Mysteries listeners, Tom Walton. G. Swerve said the song is his reminder of all the people in his life who have his back. Well, let's have another listen to Family Time by G. Swerve. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. So many times when I thought I would die Scrolling through my messages with nobody replied The only thing that I could do was sit alone and start to cry Praying for an angel I'm so lonely All I wanted is somebody to hold me yeah. Growing up I learned if you don't fight the war is gonna come for you The people in the battle won't be there to help or comfort you Gotta stand up tall and be a soldier Don't let them see your weakness Let nobody else tell you what you believe in The brightest smiles have the darkest frown That's why I keep my head up even though life pulls me down It's gonna be okay I've seen another day One too many people told me what I wouldn't be Blinded by so many haters that a young and couldn't see I'm not just supposed to be the greatest homie It was destiny I know that I'm not perfect but I still give all the best of me Been whipping up a recipe to take over the city If we crabs in a bucket, how my brothers right here with me Don't believe the word they talking or the stuff you see on TV Everybody got a purpose and my purpose is to be me Before years running kind of like an endless marathon Shout outs to everybody who accept me as the paragon Found a cutie ice cream Sunday, let me put the cherry on But I'm scared of commitment, I got used to being left alone It's family time, but I ain't really worth confessing Tell my story through this pen and cash the check, but see my blessings The Lord knows the floor goes when I arrive I walk on water when I know I can fly And now the truth is open I don't gotta be a saint to let you know I'm chosen Taking over locally, cause that's what Jesus spoke to me Hey, we can do it, but we gotta unite Columbus on sight, coming out of the darkness to light, yeah They said that we won't do it But there is nothing to it I only rocks with family If we come together, we can show them what we can be They said that we won't do it But there is nothing to it I only rocks with family If we come together, we can show them what we can be Holla I've been working every day, 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 trying to get up to the pesos, trying something different even though I don't feel safe, so far than if I stutter cause I'm nervous, put my brothers on that just because what they deserve this, you can catch me swerving, on the north side of the big town, young boss homie, legendary with a six sound, looking up these lyrics, can't even see my wrist now, got them so addicted to the music, they can't sit down, yeah, they can't sit down, Yeah, yeah, they can't sit down. Uh. Fly so high. Uh. 
is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.